Today we're going deep into how the spiritual realm works. This is, uh, this is going to be a fun one. This is more like teaching than uh, kind of preaching, having fun. We're going to go hopefully deep, but I think it's a timely word for us today. Do you know how those times when God slaps you upside the head? Like just straight up upside the head. I had one of those this week. I was driving, and I was driving down Gravelly Lake, and Clover Park School had just let out. And so if you know anything about when Clover Park School just gets let out, there's this one little light that turns red. That's never red. It's always green, but it's red. And when it's red, you sit there forever. You know which light I'm talking about. And I was sitting there, and I was listening to the radio, probably Air One, probably getting my Christian radio on. Not really. That's kind of supposed to be a joke. Everyone's supposed to laugh there. But uh, listening to my music, and I'm just in my zone. And I sit there, and I look over to the right. And you know there's a little bench there, and it's a public bus uh, stop, and there's a young girl there, and I look over, and she just has tears going down her face. Something had gone wrong. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a one thing happened to her or just like just those emotions or just the things that just keep beating on her that just keep uh, coming up, and, and she's just sitting there, and she's crying. And it's this real simple thing, but the light just did not turn green. And so you're just sitting there and you're looking and you're, you're trying not to look, but you look and she's coming from just tears to sobbing. And, and, and I realized in that moment how much God was breaking me. You know, it's interesting. We often hear news stories. We often uh, hear the kind of stuff that's going on in the macro. And it takes something to hit us upside the head that should, these things that should break our hearts, but they don't. But instead, we see something, and the Lord points something to us, and our heart begin to break. Because when we just listen to the news, when we just look at the bad news, we actually should be having our hearts break, but instead, sometimes we get immune to the noise. Am I right? The bad news comes, and it increases for us this danger. And that danger is this. We, I think, in some ways, can grow less compassionate than more compassionate. This is the danger that we find ourselves on. And oftentimes God shows us something and he showed me something when I was looking at this girl where my heart completely broke. And I thought this moment, I got this strong sense that myself and all of us at Redeem are actually called to be what? We're actually called to be missionaries in this region. We're called to be missionaries in this region. We have to rethink our vision. As individuals, we have to look at as a new vision of our calling in this next season. If you are called to this region, I have said this over and over again, this is not the Bible Belt. This is a place where maybe 18% of people are religious in general. There is so much brokenness. There is so much pain. There is so much heartache. There are so many challenges and problems. If you are called to this region, if you are here, I want you to hear this. We're called to be missionaries right now. We are in a season, it's just a season after COVID, where many people have left this region. Many people have just gone to other places, which is totally fine, but you all are still here. And what we see is that we have to put on this missionary mindset. We're actually called to one of the hardest, darkest, most painful places that you can have here in America. It's just the facts. This is a hard place to live, but we go to the hard places. And so if God is calling you to that right now, here's the risk. At least it is for me. I can harden my heart to things. I protect myself by hardening my heart. I see things on the macro. 
I look at things on the macro and I get hardened because I forget or I don't take the time to look at the micro. When I'm sitting at that red light, I'm looking over at this young girl crying and God's slapping me over the head and he's saying, look at the micro, don't look at the macro. But in Paul's, in Paul's letter, it says this, Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary of what? Doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. We can't become hardened. We are in a battle, and the battle is this, good and evil. We talk about that as a church. That's the truth of it. There is good and there is evil. If we post on, but we find ourselves posting on social media about the macro, which is fine. We, we talk about the great issues of our day. We may send sermons to people who already believe the way that we believe. This is what's going on, and we can harden ourselves. But we, can, we find ourselves complaining about things in the world. But we are called this, to stand firm in our faith. We're called to, of course, have opinions. We're, of course, called to push back on the evils of our society. We're, of course, our, our region and our day are a time where it's like this is getting more hard than less hard. Am I right? But we are in the life transformation business. This is our main concern. If you take anything from this sermon, it's this. We are in the life transformation business business. If you want to push back, if you want to push back on darkness, if you want to push back on evil, I'm telling you, the, the thing that will change and will change people for generations is in the micro, in the life transformation. That is it. But we cannot grow weary of doing good. I grow weary of doing good sometimes. And I'm the pastor, so I know exactly what you're saying. This is, this is important. We have to be more concerned about the harvest then we are just about putting our opinions out there. We are part of a movement, and that movement is light pushing into darkness. Redeem is part of a movement. We are not a church where we come together, and this is good. We go out and we join in the movement. And this little girl, this young girl, she's probably like a sophomore, it looked like whose name I don't know, whose name I probably will never know, who I have no idea why she was crying. My heart is that as you start this generational change, as you start this movement, that maybe something would happen here in Lakewood. Maybe something would happen in UP. Maybe something would happen in Silicon and DuPont that she would somehow be affected by this because darkness for sure was in her life. In the name of Jesus. So as we continue the series in Mark, the way of Jesus, we look at Mark 5 and Jesus dealing once again with darkness. Mark 5, 1. They went across the lake to the region of Jersene. Now, this is one line that has huge significance, okay? It's actually tied back to what we talked about last week. Mark 4, 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Eddie talked about this. There is so much significance about the other side. The other side in this story is a big deal. Jesus and his disciples move over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples would have been confused. They might have been intimidated. At the very least, they were uneasy about this move. This was a place that good Jewish boys did not go. The other side of the lake was not where people went. This is a place that was primarily 
Gentile. It was Gentile territory. And what we see is that Jesus often crosses boundaries to make people whole. Jesus doesn't wait for people to come to him. Oftentimes, he goes to the people and he makes them whole. And what we see is this Greek term is actually borders. So he's saying this borders. And Mark uses this term whenever Jesus crosses political boundaries. Jesus is going to go from one territory to another territory, and it's significant. And he's going to do this to show that God's kingdom through Jesus is expanding. This is not just a Jewish thing anymore. We're moving to the other side of the lake. And what we see is that he's moving beyond the religious center of Israel, and he's now going to the Gentiles. Mark 5, 2-3, uh, let's keep reading, 2-5. through five. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. There's a lot going on in this story. This is a dude that is really uh, not what you want to see when you're getting out of a boat, right? What we see is that Jesus immediately encounters this, per this, this guy. And the disciples probably would have been, if I was in my hardened heart state, he's, they're probably like, I told you there's nothing good on the other side of the sea. I feel like this is how Eastern Washington people talk about Western Washington people. I told you there's nothing good on the other side of the mountains. Am I right? That's a dig, man. I love Western Washington. But what we see is that this man is deep in the demonic. This man is deep into demonic uh, possession. The man literally lives in tombs. Day, in Jesus' day, tombs areas were not a place that you go. In our day, tomb area is not a place that you go. They were unclean places. And they were thought of to be a primary hangout of the demonic, of demons. There are these places, because we know this true, Unclean spirits reside in unclean places. I have been in places where you know that there are things going on in the unseen realm that you know are not in the seen realm. There are places and there are people that you interact with where it's like there is something going on that is much deeper than I can see on the surface. And the tombs were that. And we see this guy is experiencing great torment. Now, in the Jewish tradition, there were four things that primarily said this person is under demonic control. It was, one, a person spent time in a grave. Check. Uh, uh, two, a person tears his clothing. Appears to be check. A person walks around at night and, and, and sleeps during the day. Uh, appears to be check. Uh, a person destroys anything given to him. Like, if you give them something, they just destroy it. And we see that probably, from just the looks of this, all four things are going on with this guy. And it emphasizes the power of the spirits. The man is in as bad a shape as you could imagine anyone being. This is as bad a dude as Jesus is going to encounter. He's totally alienated from his family. He's totally alienated from his community. 
And what we see is he's actually alienated from himself. He's not in his right mind. He's alienated from himself. And he wanders around tormented day and night in these tombs that are these like cave-like rooms cut into the rocks of the nearby hills. These are a place of chaos. This is a place that you do not go. And what we see with this man is that there are people, I believe, that are in almost a desperate situation in our communities right now. It has increased so much. You see it. If you walk around, there are people in great torment right now. And what we see with this man and we see with people in our community today, there is a perversion, a perversion of how God's wanted this man's life to look like. At the root of it, that is it. There's a perversion of what this man's life was supposed to look like. This guy was beyond help. They literally took a chain around his hands and his feet and the dude straight busted out of him. That's like the best help that you could, I mean, that's like, that's my last ditch effort if I'm chaining you up, right? And what we see is these people, and I know what you, this means, people that walk past this church on a, almost every day, it isn't every day. Men and women who are addicted. Men and women who have lived on the streets for years. Men and women who have said to themselves, I'm beyond help. And we in turn probably say to ourselves or to others, which I have, been, uh, I have done myself and I, and I repented of it before I did this sermon. Those guys are beyond help. I don't even know what to do anymore. I've chained them up and they're busting out of it. The land of the Gentiles... For us, we can play the narrative in our heads of oh, this post-Christian culture. This person is just without hope. There was a, there's a, been a lot of shootings in Lakewood, if we're just being honest. Um, and there was a shooting in the town center. Uh, it was between two people experiencing homelessness. And it was amazing because uh, a day after it went down, I knew where it was because I had heard about it and someone had told me about it. So I went over there Why it was... After it happened, I just went over there just to pray. I've been trying to be real intentional about praying for our community. And the day after, I knew exactly where it was. It was amazing because it was in the Target parking lot, and there were literally cars parked right there. It was as if this dude's life didn't even exist. And I thought, if something happened to me because of the loving community, because of my family, because of who I am, I, I thought maybe there'd be flowers or a cross or something that would mark this guy's life. And there was no cross no family, no love. This person who was experiencing homelessness, we see in our community. His life was this like satanic attempt to distort and destroy God's image in this man. And we have men and women walking around in our neighborhoods, maybe in our lives, in our town centers at the very least, that are so far from the image that God wanted them to have. It's so hard to see the divine image in this man. It is so hard to see the divine image in many people that we experience. A man that God created, a man that God loved, and a man who God desperately wanted to be restored back to him. So let's keep reading because Jesus told us the mission. Mark 2, 17, Jesus told us the mission. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to save the marginalized and the forgotten like this man. Just like he came to save each one of us. Mark 5, 6-10, when he saw Jesus from a distance, 
he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. So much going on there. Now, the first thing that we see is the significance of this person's condition. Jesus asked for the name of the demon. That's what he's asking. What is the name of the demonic control over you? And the, and the reply is this. My name is Legion, for we are many. What we see is that this man is under evil powers and it's intense oppression. They tormented him as one combined force. There is so much going on, but he's tormented as one combined force. And this term legion, what is happening? It would have actually been a term that would have been common in the day because they're under Roman oppression. And so they would have understood this. It denotes a Roman army, probably a regiment of around 6,000. Okay, so this is how intense this oppression is on this guy. And it simply means this. There's a lot of us. There's a very large number that's happening right now on this guy. The demonic, is. Uh, it, it, there's great strength and oppression that this guy is experiencing. Now, what's amazing, even with 6,000 demons, let's say that, like this legion of demons, this many, 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 many layers of demonic influence, we see this, that they knew who Jesus was and they knew about his superior power. That's the truth that we hold on to. No matter what we experience, there's three things. One, he knelt down before him. When the oppressed man came and saw him, he ran and bowed before him, literally meaning that he came in reverence. He literally came in reverence. People for years were trying to bind up this man. They used chains around his hands and his feet, and they couldn't. And Jesus just steps out the boat, and this dude's on his knees. They knew him. It, just the mere appearance uh, brought them to his, their knees, and it recognized Jesus' authority. Number two, we see an interesting name that he calls Jesus. Now remember, location matters a lot here. If you remember, throughout Mark, we see several stories of this. There's a lot of crowds following Jesus, right? And then Mark throws in, and he's healing a lot of people, and he's casting out demons. It's crazy. It's just like this like side note, right? And what we see is that Mark 1, through, uh, 1 24, we talked about this in the first uh, time that I, I talked about this. What does the impure spirit call Jesus? Mark 1, 24, he experiences a man under a demonic oppression. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. This is in the in Caper, Capernaum. This is in Jewish land. It says this, the Holy One of God. But here the demons call Jesus something else. They call him the son of the most high God. What is happening? The most high God is the non-Israelite way to refer to Israel's God. Throughout the Hebrew text, this is what the, the Gentiles call Yahweh. This is what they call the Lord. This is what they call the Jewish God. They say, whoa, that's the God of the most high. So they, they look at him and they say, this is the most high God of all the gods that are going on. And what we see is that 
we were, we were moving from territories. We moved from the religious elite territory of Capernaum, and now we're in Gentile territory. And what we see is that the demonic does a thing in that area that's unique to that area. But it's important to note, the demonic, no matter where it's at, no, uh, no matter where at, it has the same goal, to destroy God's image in people and the works of God here on earth. That's it. That's what the, the demonic is trying to do to destroy God's image in people and the works of God here on earth. But what we see is that it will behave uniquely in the area. In all areas, in all regions, the demonic have the same goal, which the goal is to destroy. The goal right now, there are demonic influences that are happening in our cities that are unique to the Lakewood situation, whatever it is. And they're here to destroy people's lives. But ultimately... One thing that's good is that no matter where, they ultimately all understand the authority and the identity of Jesus Christ as Lord. Isn't that what's so powerful? Number three, we see the demons plead with Jesus. The spirits fear Jesus because he knows them and they know him. Demons know things. They have been here longer They have seen many civilizations. They have knowledge of how the spiritual world works. This is all true. They're here to deceive us. They're here to distract us from God. And they do not want to be exposed. And they do not want to be expelled. So they beg. They beg not to be tormented. These demons are twisted. They're straight tormenting this dude, and now it's their call, their reckoning day, and they're like, don't torment me, please. They're cowards. These demons are twisted. They know that they're about to lose their power over the man, but they, are, but they want to keep causing havoc. They want to keep causing havoc. And so these unclean spirits ask to be allowed to stay in the same region. They're like, just keep us here. Let us keep doing our work, all right? They know the authority. They know they're getting cast out. They're like, oh, this is the end of us, right? But what they want to do is they want to stay active. But we're going to see this. We're going to see this. Take out of this whole message. Take this. When people come to Jesus, they do change. No matter what is happening in their life, no matter what they have allowed into their life, no matter what dark and deep stuff that they are in, there is no authority, there is no power greater than Jesus Christ. And when that happens, the torment torment stops and they move on. But they still want to cause havoc. There's a lot of people that I pass in the town center. I'm I'm really laying it to the town center right now, but I'm just going to be honest. I drove around the town center this morning just to pray over it. That we think nothing we're going to do is going to make any difference. They are too far gone. People who are addicts, people who live on the streets, maybe people who have been in a situation for a long time and we don't see any change. This is like, this is not going to change. But what we see is there's about to be some crazy stuff that happened. Mark 5, 11 through 14, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd had uh, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. 
those tending the pigs ran off and reported uh, this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Fascinating. When troubles or trials or things come our way, oftentimes we come and we're afraid, right? It's interesting. The demons specifically begged Jesus to send them to the pigs in a desperate attempt to be this like disembodied thing happening. They're like, put us into the pigs. And they want the pigs to be their new host. And what they see is that Jesus allows this to happen. And so they make this strange appeal and Jesus is like, okay. And the demons left and entered the pigs and the whole herd, probably thousands on this hillside, they begin to just go and jump into the, the lake. And these herdsmen were like, what the heck is going on? The other day, I got mad, uh, just being honest, I got mad in my, in my house because we left bacon out too long and the bacon was ruined. I get these herdsmen. Don't mess with my bacon. Don't mess with my bacon. That's my line. When it gets spoiled bacon, I got an amen out there. I feel you, lobby people. I can't imagine what these guys felt. They see all their pigs start heading down this steep bank into the water, one after another, drowning themselves. And what we see is that the demons do what the demons do. The impulse for self-destruction that the man was experiencing comes into fulfillment with these pigs. And what is Jesus really doing? Jesus is removing the unclean spirits and unclean animals from this land. Not only is he making the man possessed whole again, but he's showing his authority in the spiritual realm. He is symbolically making unclean territory ritually clean. To the Jewish audience, these were unclean animals. We know that, right? And it's in a Gentile territory, he's showing his authority that when Jesus is around, when people truly come to Jesus, we see that they change. On an individual level, when people come to Jesus, they change. But we also see a snowball effect. And this is what I hope we take from this message. That we, I truly believe that whole communities can change with just a few changed lives. Whole communities can change with just a few changed lives. Whole generations can be changed by a, whole, by a few changed lives. If you are a first-generation Christian in your family, in this community, if you say, I said yes to Jesus, you are setting into motion generational of change. That's how the kingdom works. That's kingdom math, not human math. We can change on the systemic level all we want. We can try to legislate change, but Jesus changes community through life transformations of the individuals. Jesus's life, the way of life is this. I'm going to change lives that are going to transform communities. The enemy doesn't give up. And what we see in this story is that this is still active today. There will always be people with competing priorities to this. This is a truism. There will always be people with competing priorities around this. Are we more interested in our pigs than we are in the power of God to transform lives? There will always be people who see Jesus and see God's power to liberate. 
And their response is, I don't really like that. It's really strange. There will always be people who push back on God moving for the sake often of profit. Mark 5, 16 through 17. Those who have seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. They weren't like, whoa, you think this dude was bad? I got like 50 more at home. Come on, let's go. Let's go see Jesus. They say, oh, I didn't like that. You messed with our pigs. Just get out of here. So the pig herdmen, they're watching this unfold, and they go and they say it. And everyone comes to see it to investigate for themselves, like internet sleuths when there's crime, right? Marcy and I have this pack. Whenever we hear, I, I, whenever there's sirens, I get a phone call from my mother-in-law about one minute after. Kurt, can you hop on the scanner and tell me what's going on? There's just a lot of, there's a lot of police activity going on there, veterans. And I hop on. I, I'm the scanner app dude, and I hop on. I listen. I'm like, what's going on? No shame. No shame. I'm a news junkie. This is the equivalent of the townspeople. This is like before Facebook groups were a thing. I joined the Lakewood Facebook group. Worst decision of my life. You would, you would think that this whole road is covered with potholes. Like it's just, they complain about one pothole. It's just unbelievable. But what we see is that they come to investigate themselves. And they see this demon-possessed man sitting there in his right mind, fully clothed. This, this person, keep in mind, that they literally had to take chains to try to stop. And there's a rational case for this. Look, 2,000 pigs, let's say it's 2,000 pigs. That's a whole lot of money. That's a heck of a lot of money. That is a whole heck of a lot of bacon that was going to fill their, their bellies. It's a big deal. But what we see is there will always be people who resist good or even promote evil for profit. Look at today's world. There is a bunch of money getting made on promoting evil right now. Drug dealers are ruining people's lives for profit. Pharmaceutical companies are pushing pills on people for profit. People are taking advantage of the less fortunate for profit. There is human trafficking that is happening in our cities for profit. There are TV shows and video games and movies getting made to normalize all of this. For what? For profit. Don't mess with my pigs. I remember last NFL season, they were promoting this show on FX that was like, I, I have a pretty, like, okay, that's kind of a weird show or whatever like that. But this show was a cartoon that was literally called Little Demon. And it was literally, here's the description of the show. 13 years after being pregnated by Satan, Mother Laura and her antichrist daughter, Chrissy, uh, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan himself, who yearns for custody of this daughter's soul. For profit. For profit. Somebody is going to be watching that and going to be like, this is normalizing. This is hanging out in the tombs if we're just being completely transparent. And we can open ourselves up to it as well. This is not a don't watch this, let's burn CDs afterwards. This is an awareness. If you were at a CD burning party like me, you know what's up. This is an awareness of what's going on in the spiritual realm and an awareness that's what's happening around us. And it's all for profit. It's all for profit. Ruin people's lives 
but we get into the life transformation business. We push back on that. We stand up where it's right. We share our opinions, of course. We, we make sure that we're pushing things that matter. But if you really want to change something, if you really want to see things change, it's all about the life transformation business. We are in the individual life change business. But what we see is like the townspeople are. It's good that Jesus healed this guy. But, the, that they, but we see that there is this, this sense that you don't mess with my prophet. You don't mess with the things that are just normalized right now. We also see this. The one who delivers also sins. The one who delivers also sins. If we're honest, you were probably that whole time, that whole time that I was sharing, you were probably identifying with two people in the story. You were either identifying with Jesus, the miracle maker, like, okay, I'm going to figure out the way of Jesus. I'm following him. Two, you were maybe the disciples taking this all in because this would have been crazy stuff. Or maybe you're the townspeople. I don't know. Maybe there's a third. But if we're really honest, if we really admit it, we relate to the man who is freed from the demons. We were saved and we've been delivered. Remember that. We were delivered from loneliness. Some of us were delivered from addiction. Some of us were delivered from lust. Some of us were delivered from uh, sin. Some of us were delivered from doubt. Some of us were delivered from fear. Some of us were delivered from confusion. Whatever it is, what do we see this man who was delivered? Mark 5, 18 through 20, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the city of Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The charge is to go home and to tell. To go home and to tell. Remember the one who delivers also sins. The one who delivers also sins. Unlike the townspeople, the man who had demon possession was begging to go with Jesus. The townspeople are forcing him out. And the man who was delivered was like, take me with you, please. Take me with you, please. Jesus' miracles always repel some and attract others. It's really strange. You see it throughout his story. But we see Jesus tells him to go to his home, go to his immediate family, go to your own people and tell them the Lord, the most high God, what he has done for you. Go and show how he has mercy on you and show the wonderful things Jesus has done for you. And you, they will see and they will hear and they're going to be amazed. Because last time they saw you, you were up in the tombs, right? Last time they saw you, you were like too far gone. That dude is way out there. And now he's sitting there, fully clothed in his right mind. And his charge is to go home and tell. The one who sins is also the one who delivers. We've all experienced mercy of Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I've never shared, I don't think I've ever shared from my story because it's really a weird one, but I'm, this, is a whole, this is in my notes as a Holy Spirit moment. I was raised in the church. Uh, I was raised in the church from when I was born. I think the day after I was born, I was in church. My family was involved in church. Some things happened in my 
personal life, on a family level, and I had completely left the faith. I, uh, I was using drugs, alcohol. I was uh, uh, in college, and, and my spring break, um, my buddies and I, we decided let's go to New York City and let's, let's, let's just party and live on the streets. Literally, this like 19-year-old, I can't go into the, the logistics for legal reasons. Not really, I'm just joking. <laughs> that really got people like listening. But we were partying. And we were I, I was a lost, lost soul. But I had this, I had this upbringing, right? And I remember vividly, it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm on this New York subway, and this dude is having a breakdown. Uh, he had holes in his shirt. He had holes in his pants. It's New York, so everything smelled bad anyway. And he's talking to himself, and he's yelling at himself, and he's, he's out of his mind. And I've always been a compassionate soul, and so my heart broke at that moment. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit come, and he said, Kurt, you can't do anything about that man's life without me. Next day, I've been clean ever since, never done anything. I gave my life to the Lord. I went to church that next weekend. I fully gave my life to the Lord. And from that day, this is my passion point. I hope you felt it in this sermon. This is like what I could preach on all day. The compassion of the Lord, but the movement of God. Jesus is so concerned about your life. Jesus is so concerned about all your pains and your sorrows and your hurts and your anxieties, But at the same time, he's saying the kingdom of God will advance when my church begins to get into the life transformation business. When my church believes that there is nobody too far gone for the gospel of Jesus Christ to change. There's no demonic power. There's no demonic influence. There's nothing that can do anything. There's no addiction. There's no depression. There's no too far gone for the love of Jesus Christ. But if we do not understand this, we were once the addict. We were once the liar. We were once the person living in fear. We were once the person who shared so much gossip and ruined people's lives, whatever it is. But we were broken free. And the one who delivers is the one who sins. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, while I was on that subway, was saying this, Bro, You can't do anything about that without me. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have all authority and power through Jesus Christ that we need to make a difference in Lakewood. We do. Case done. Nothing else that we need to talk about. We walk into that authority no matter what comes at us. And it's not, you're too far gone. You'll never be saved. You're too addicted. No, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, says that you're free. Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to have a time of, uh, we'll do this last song. This last song is like, just let it sit in on who Jesus is. This last song, just let it sit in who Jesus is. We'll be out for prayer at the end. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, If there's anybody in here who feels like their heart has become too hardened like mine, 
I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that your heart would be softened in Jesus' name. Lord, open our eyes and Lord, open our ears. Open us up to the things that are of you. Lord, when we see people in the town center or we see people in our lives that we think, man, are they just too far gone? Let us see them the way that you see them as a child of God who you created by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let us give up. Don't let us grow weary of doing good, Lord. Instead, let us push forward because, Lord, we so desperately want to harvest. And in this church, I know in this church, we want to harvest the people who are so far gone and they come in and their lives are radically changed by Jesus. We don't need church hoppers. We need new creations in this church. So, Lord, I pray that over this body right now, Jesus, that you would give us all the authority and the power to walk in your name, that we would walk through the town center with all new eyes, fresh eyes, fresh hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.